Hey everybody, welcome to episode 23 of Junior Golf Keys. I'm your host, Matt, and I've got a fire spitter for us this week, guys. Um, I've got the Director of Player Development, or as he likes to call it, the Director of Man Development for the University of Illinois and their football program, Coach Jake Zwig. Um, super lucky and thankful uh, that he agreed to join the show with us, and I think you guys are going to get a lot out of our chat. We had a really good time. Uh, talking through things like planning and preparation, uh, practice planning, the mental game, kind of dipped our toe into visualization, but uh, more to come there. And we just had a had a really good talk about leadership, um, you know, some of those types of things that I think you guys are really going to take a lot of value away from this episode uh, if you really pay attention. So um, I just want to kind of run through some of Coach Zwig's resume, um, he's got a long one. He's done a lot. He's accomplished a lot in his life. And uh, But I do want to share and give you some context around some of the things. I'm not going to hit everything, uh, but I'm going to kind of run through and highlight a few different things. Just jumping back to high school, um, he's a member of a state uh, runner-up football team uh, in 1989 and was also inducted into the Hall of Fame with that team. Um, he was a state champion on the wrestling mat and also a member of the varsity golf team. So you think about football, uh, you know, state runner-up, state champion in wrestling, and then you've got golf, um, which is kind of an interesting piece. But, um, you know, he's got some experience there, and I think it really tied everything together for this conversation uh, Coach Zwig then went on to the Naval Academy, played nose guard there, also wrestled at the Navy, Naval Academy, and then prepared uh, to be a Navy diver. Um, went on to complete BUDS, and not only complete, but crush uh, BUDS Navy SEAL training. Uh, he's going to talk a little bit about you know what prepared him to get to that level. Um, and then following his training, uh, as a SEAL went on to report to SEAL Team 8. Um, Coach cut his teeth in the college coaching world in 2005 at the University of Maryland and has coached at several uh, universities along the way. Catholic University of America, Iona, New Hampshire, Bryant University, uh, Incarnate Word, Finley, and now, like I said, at the University of Illinois, um, coach also has been on a couple different uh, television shows. He co-hosted Discovery Channel series titled Dude, You're Screwed. Um, he competed in the History Channel's Top Shot. He's um, also done some different challenges like a survival contest in the Namibian Desert. Um, some stuff like that. So Coach has got a ton of experience. And uh, super passionate guy. You're going to hear it. It's just going to echo through uh, as you play this episode. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Um, and I want to pause for just a second. I've been doing this because I think it's super important. Um, really trying to make this show a great one for you guys. And, you know, your feedback is the way that I'm able to do that. So I'd love it. It would mean the world to me 
if you left a review, if you sent me an email, if you commented on a post and just kind of gave me some feedback uh, so that I can continue to make this thing better because, you know, I think we're bringing on some pretty unique people. I'm getting a lot of good feedback, but I'm always looking for more. I'm always looking to try to figure out what I can do uh, to bring some more value to you guys. So um, stop the podcast, pause it for a second, go back, review it, um, would really appreciate it. And I'd like to jump into our interview now. So if you guys sit tight, I'll be right back with Coach Swig. All right, guys, welcome back to this week's episode of Junior Golf Keys. Uh, really excited about this week. I've got the Director of Player Development at the University of Illinois, Coach Jake Zwig, on the line. Coach, what's happening? Man, you know, just you introducing it that way. Well, I'm going to be talking about golf here. I didn't even really think about this until I heard you say that, but I got to tell my golf story. So my dad told me all golfmen, all business people play golf. So I started playing golf my sophomore year. I literally swung at the ball. like I, I held the, the club like a baseball and chopped at it. And so I did okay. I, you know, I broke 50 one time my sophomore year. But then I transferred to a really elite high school my junior year. And they wouldn't let me play golf for the first four weeks of the season until okay. I could actually cut. All right. And so I literally spent four weeks on a golf green putting because I would run the ball back, run the ball past like six feet on a four foot putt. Yeah. And so it was interesting because then my scores came way down and then I learned how to actually swing a golf club and long story short, I still missed state by one stroke. So, well, that's some good progress though. Yeah. I mean, but I was in Washington state, you know, it's not the best state in the world for golf. (laughs) Well, I mean, I know you're a multi-sport athlete, and it's funny, when I was, uh, I actually didn't know you played golf, and then I was kind of poking around for some different information on you, and uh, ran across it. You played golf in high school, and I was like, wow, maybe this is aligned a little bit better than I thought it was. Yeah. You know, like, I think golf is a metaphor for a lot of things in life also. You know, it's just, it's one of those sports that, although it's, you know, it's, it's an individual playing a sport. He has a team behind him. He's got a coach. He's got a whole bunch of stuff going on. And at the end of the day, it's the same as life. Like you're going to have ups and downs. It's never going to be perfect. You know, you you know, you're going to go on runs. You're going to go on cold spells and all of that just, you know, lends itself to the mental game of life. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, all sports have elements uh, that are going to help develop people with skills and mindset to, crush life right but uh, to your point i'm a big believer that golf is one of the most parallel sports to life itself and it's one of those where i always say you know you can hit the ball straight down the middle of the fairway and hit a sprinkler head and you end up in the woods or you can hit one in the trees and you get lucky and you catch a good break and you end up in the middle of the fairway so at the end of the day and i think it was uh sam sneed maybe that said it you got to play the ball where it lies yep hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, it's, it's interesting as you're, as you're giving me a description, I'm thinking of shots that have errantly found their way in the woods and you're like, Oh, and then it comes out. You're so happy. Or, you know, (laughs) you're, 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 we we played a Fort Lewis golf course a lot as a kid because it was only $6 for twilight golf and, and we were on a budget. So we'd play a lot and 
one of the holes out there, there's a uh, spring that, that guards the green. And it's nothing. It's not even like it's a really hard hole. The, the, the green isn't right on the water. It's, you know, it's probably 20 yards off. And we would hit our balls and you'd just be like, oh, man, I hope I clear the water. And you'd be like, yeah. no. And every now <laughs> and then you, you, you'd scold a ball and it would go across the water and it was really steep on the other side. So it might hit the other side. And it would still end up in the water. You're like, oh. Yeah. But we, we turned lemons into lemonade, and then we decided, like, look, let's ride our motorcycles out here in the middle of the night and get all these balls out of this spring. Well, there you go. So, so then we had unlimited golf balls, and we really didn't care if we hit them in the water. <laughs> That's great. Um, so you're the director of player development, or as you like to call it, man development at the University of Illinois at football. Um, can you just kind of give the audience a little bit of context behind what you do? Um, just – you know, as a leader, because your leadership is, I think, unprecedented. And, uh, you know, I just want some context around that for the audience. So in my role as the director of man development, I'm basically the leadership coach for the team. Um, You know, I take my direction from the head coach, Lovey Smith, and he allows me a lot of leeway to kind of manage the team from a leadership perspective, who's doing what, how we're going to be functioning, you know, who's going to be the leaders in in the team. And then from that, I'm also responsible for discipline. But if you have the leadership in place and you have kind of the backstops and we've got a really good strength and conditioning coach and Lou Hernandez, he does a great job with discipline. If the leadership and the discipline are in place, then I don't really have a lot to do as far as discipline because everything is running the way I want it to run. And that's kind of where we're at right now. I've had this job since October of 18. I'm going into, you know, 18 month point roughly. And we're getting ready to start our second off-season uh, program now. And my off-season program this year is going to be completely different than last year. Last year, I was in a developmental phase of leadership, getting people to understand how to lead, what to do, you know, body language, um, your word choices. How do you get somebody to do something for you to make it their idea? And now we're kind of past all that. Now we got to get the leaders to understand, like, okay, now we really got to start stepping up the amount of work we do as a team. So it'll be, it'll be a different message this year than last year. Um, And that's, you know, that's leadership, right? Like you're always evolving. You're always growing. So in my role, like I got this kind of nebulous job. I interact with academics. I interact with the training room. I interact with the strength staff. Obviously I interact with all of the coaches and the head coach, but I'm really, I'm sitting here waiting on my time to get back on the field. So it's a, it's a great job for what I'm doing right now. I think this job is super preparing me to be a head coach, which I didn't really look at it that way before I got the job. But then now my head coach is awesome. Right. And he allows you to be you and have the freedoms you need to do your job. So I'm basically like, okay, I'm going to run the team the way I would run. Right. In his rules and his accordance. But like I'm running the team meetings for the next nine months now. Yeah. So. Yeah. So is that the ultimate awesome. goal? Is that the goal yeah. then to, to take your own program? Yeah. The ultimate goal is to be a head coach. Um, I, I, I've had a couple opportunities lately that may lead me into administration, but I'm not super jacked about that. I love football. I love, you know, building unstoppable teams. That's what I really love doing. And so, like, my goal at the end of the day is to win a national championship as a Division One head coach. Or if somehow I find myself in the NFL, I'll allow a Super Bowl to, 
kind of trump the national championship but <laughs> you know yeah, and think, then uh, i think that holds a little uh could hold a little bit of a higher uh, yeah team, i right? don't know if it's higher but you know it's the same kind of deal and then for sure once i do that i'm gonna i'm gonna parlay that victory into a u.s senate seat love it so love it. that that's kind of the the long-term plan the number one goal of course is always to raise three savages so i have three sons all three of them will be 10 times better than I Well, my, my oldest, my eight year old's already better than me. He already reads better than I do. He gets hundreds on tests. Like he's going to be better prepared for life than I was. Mm. And so like, that's my number one goal. If I had to walk away from football, if I had to walk away from there, all of my goals, the only thing that I really care about is making sure that I raise three phenomenal people. So I love it. I love it. If, if, if you're a parent listening to this and, you context too around you know our audience we've got parents that are listening we've got young up-and-coming players a majority of them that are looking to uh further their golf careers as students and athletes in the collegiate space and some have aspirations of going on and playing professionally and we've also got some different coaches that are listening too so i've been prepping them a little bit telling them hey i'm gonna throw a curveball at you guys because they're probably sitting there thinking you know why the heck is a football coach yep. on our golf podcast but um you know, I've been following you for a while. I actually ran across you uh, on another podcast, 90% Mental. Okay. I was out working out, and, uh, you know, I saw this podcast. Like, man, this looks like an interesting one. I, I tapped into it, and um, I've been following you since. And I think that was probably about six or eight months ago. And um, I just love the fire that you spit around accountability, preparation, planning. You're talking about your boys, Um how are you raising those boys? Man, you know, it's, it's funny that you say that because right now I have a hardness campaign going on in my household. So I have okay. two, two little ones. They will work, right? We'll go outside. They'll work until the work is done. But the oldest kind of didn't grow up with a lot of work, right? He's only eight, but there wasn't a lot. It's not a lot of chores. I live in a little neighborhood. We won't ever buy a house like we bought. We will never buy a house in the neighborhood without a big yard, like have some animals, stuff that they have to take care of. But now we do these work projects and I literally, I'm like, okay, I could pay the guy to cut down the trees or I can cut down the trees and they can carry every piece of wood. I'll cut down the trees. They'll mm -hmm. carry every piece of wood. So we're like, as soon as the weather breaks, we're going to cut down four trees in my backyard and the three of them will carry every piece of wood from those trees. Now it may take us a month to do, but I'm instilling hard work into them just same way that my dad did it to me. Right. I was like my two okay. youngest children. And when we went to the woods and cut wood. So at Fort Lewis, I tell this story, Fort Lewis, everyone wants to know, where did you where did you get your work ethic at? I know exactly where I got it. Fort Lewis uh, on the Army base, they would issue a 24 hour wood permit once a year. So you had 24 hours to cut as much fallen wood as you could. And then you had to be off the base. So my dad, mm -hmm. would, we'd wake up at 2 a.m. He would have already scouted out where we're going to go. We would show up. He'd have two chainsaws. He would run chainsaws for 18 hours. And then we are, yeah, yeah, 12, 16 hours. He'd run a chainsaw. And then literally we would split wood the whole rest of the time. And then at 24 hours, we'd drive the chainsaws back home and then we would run the wood back and forth. And we would do five yeah. cords of wood in like a weekend. Wow. And I tell people, I'm like, I used to get tired. When I first went out there, I had two splitting malls and an eight pound, like two foot long handled sledgehammer. And it would, and yeah. I would split. I remember being like first, second grader. I might've split 15 pieces of wood 
So I had 30 pieces of wood in my pile. My dad had five cord. The next year I had 45 pieces of wood. And then by the time we got to middle school, towards the end of middle school, my dad bought a heat pump and we didn't rely on the wood heater because all we had was wood heat before that. And so mm-hmm. we stopped going, but like seventh grade, like I was keeping up with him pretty much chopping wood. Like as he cut wood, I could chop it and almost keep up with him. Like he didn't do that much splitting towards the end. But, but then yeah. when you get in wrestling practice and you're like, oh, it's two hours. Okay. It's two and a half hours. All right. I lost 14 pounds. Like, okay. Yeah. Right. But I tell the story, like it was interesting with him because I would say, dad, I'm tired. He'd be like, Oh, no problem. Just go lay down in the trunk. So I get, I get in a truck. I remember it. I remember the smells. I lay down on the front seat of the truck. I go to sleep. I wake up. He'd still be chopping wood. I get back out. I go back to chopping. Dad, I'm hungry. You got two sausages in your front pocket. Go ahead and eat them sausages. Oh, okay. That's right. Eat my sausages. Keep working. It, it was yeah. never like, oh, yeah, I'll take you home here in a minute. You can rest. No, nah, you, you go in there and lay down. When you get done, you, you'll come back out here and start working again. But he never said Keep anything. Moving. Yeah. Right? It was, like this in, it was like this subliminal like message of hard work that permeated my house because we didn't have any money. So yeah. like when the water main broke, 70-foot trench, four feet deep from my house to the street. He hired the plumber to come, yep. replumb the, the water main. But we had already dug the ditch. We already had laid all the water pipe from the house to the fire, the water main. The plumber showed up, worked for like one hour, paid him like 50 bucks probably. And then we covered it back in, replanted the grass, and we were on our way. Like a two-day digging project. Yep. But I dug for two days yep. in the ditch. Sure. So, so go ahead. No, what I was going to say is, so I mean – I want to tie this back to golf, obviously, yep. and I just think that, you know, I was uh, I was actually listening to a podcast this morning, Tony Robbins, and I know that you're you're a, a fan yep. of his. I've seen some of your videos yep. with him on your screen, and um, that he was interviewing Conor McGregor, okay. and one of the things Conor said stuck out to me, and it kind of aligns with what we're talking about here. And I want to move into mental after we talk about physical, okay. but uh, what Conor said was, "You've got to be in shape physically to be in shape mentally." And it, it hit me pretty hard because I'm actually putting myself through something right now, which is a big mental toughness challenge. And a lot of it has a physical component okay. to it. And it got me thinking about golf and how mental the game of golf is and how we can help educate this group on how can you strengthen your mental by strengthening your physical, meaning, you know, the game of golf, you're really spending two to three minutes let's say in an average round of 18 holes executing shots. Yep. Those are other three hours and 57 minutes. You're in your head the entire in time. In your head. So how can you strengthen your mental? And I know that with you being a former Navy SEAL commando officer and going through SEAL training and BUDS and all that stuff, I mean, there's no better ground to train your mental through your physical, right? So I'll, I'll say this. I'll come back to chopping wood. My mental capacity for hard work was developed chopping wood. When I got to the SEAL teams, it didn't grow. It didn't grow. I, I grew SEAL, I, I grew SEAL training's capacity, right? Because my capacity was, was as high as it could be. So what I wanted to come back to, like, how do you grow that mental toughness? You have to do tough stuff, right? And you've heard the phrase, um, conditioning makes cow- poor conditioning makes cowards out of everybody, 
right? I don't, I don't think sure. I'm saying yeah. exactly right. But you have to be in world-class shape to even consider being on a world-class performance platform. And that's what I think I like. Like a lot of people miss that aspect of like golf isn't a super physical sport, but when you put a four hour round together and you got to carry your bag, mm. now you're talking yep. about a really physical event, even though the actual striking of the ball is a very physical and dynamic movement. You're not going to say you're going to get worn out from hitting the ball unless you hit 200 balls at the range, 300 balls at the range. And right. you're going to, if you're doing great, you're going to hit 69 shots. Yeah. Right. And half of so that, and, and half of those are going to be putts roughly. Correct. Correct. So, for sure. so you're sitting there and you're saying, Oh golly, man. But I know this, if you're out of shape, if you don't have the wind, all of that is going to erode your mental toughness, which then affects your game. Mm. So what do you think people can do or young kids uh, that are trying to become more mentally tough? How can you develop that grit and that toughness as a young golf athlete? So, so one of the things I love is, is kind of the cross training model, right? And I'll say two things. So running to me is one of those things. If you've, if you've, what's the furthest you've ever ran? Me personally, um, I'd, I'd say probably six miles. Six miles, okay. If you go out tomorrow and run seven miles, it's going to be mentally challenging for you. For sure. Okay? If you go out and run 10 miles next weekend, it's going to be more mentally challenging for you. Mm-hmm. Okay? At some point, you're going to get to the point where 12 miles is the same as 14. 14 is the same as 18. Now, when you go over 18, 15, 18 miles, it changes, right? We're getting ready for marathons then. But I'm saying at some point, the mental hardness of running just takes over and you're able to go the extra four miles to get to 15 miles, okay? Mm. And so when you – when you, I love running. So I have a kicker right now, and we are working on his underlying mental toughness. He is running every day. How far? Two miles right now. Okay. Soccer okay. kid. But it's two things involved with it. There's the, the actual act of the physicalness of running two miles. And then there's the actual act of getting up to go run the two miles. Yep. So we're going to do two miles every day until we go to spring ball. Okay. Okay. And we're not going to skip any days. We're going to, we're going to go straight through and when he gets done, he's going to be more mentally tough because there's probably going to be 15 days in there where he may be hung over. He don't want to get up. He doesn't want to go run. We're doing it in the morning before school starts, before he's got to be here in the building. We're, we're getting it done early. Yeah. Those 15 days are going to make him more mentally tough, greater than the 45 days that he was actually running, and it was easy. Mm. Go into that a little bit further. So – I I tell people this, right? When you lift weights, you don't get any gains on the first – like if you're doing five reps of weights, you don't get any gains on the first four reps. The first four reps are getting you tired to the failure point. So that fifth rep, when you really got to gut it out, that's where you're tearing the muscle fibers so they can grow. Yeah. So if you look at the running aspect of it, all those easy runs are simply building up your reservoir to push you over the edge so that you can actually grow. I got it. And so I love running. 
right now. The other thing I love is non-traditional sports. Like, so you take a golfer, very individualized sport. They hit golf balls. There's never a combat grittiness to it. All right, let's go do some jujitsu for three months. Okay, let's let let's sure. go do jujitsu. So now, when I'm on a golf course and I need to hit balls for an hour, or I need to go to the putting green for two hours, I got to work on my, you know, three foot in putt. And I'm there for 15 minutes, and I'm bored, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to go home instead of working for another hour and 45 minutes. And I think back to jujitsu practice. I'm like, oh my god, this is easy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I did a putting drill recently. Actually, I was out on the green. I hit the same three-foot putt. So I had a ruler, yardstick, and you start the ball in the end. You roll it across the ruler, and it falls in. Well, my goal was to make 25 in a row. Okay. It, it took me two hours, and I still hadn't done it. Now, I had another time commitment, but point being, I was going to spend as much time as I needed in the allotted time that I had to get that done, and I didn't actually accomplish it yet, and I'm still working on getting there. But, okay, yeah, so let, hitting that same putt repetition. Let's attack what you just talked about. You just talked about okay. persistent practice. So one right. of the biggest keys that I teach the young folks is what is persistent practice? And I'm saying it very specifically so that they can Google persistent practice. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's the art of getting better incrementally, just like you talked about. And so the story I like to tell my guys to illustrate it I am a wrestler, okay? I, I played organized basketball in the seventh grade, and I tackled a kid, and it got thrown out of the basketball league. And my dad probably my dad said, I don't think basketball is your sport, okay? <laughs> so to say that my basketball skills are sketchy at best is an understatement. So I'm at Catholic University, 2006, one of my, my first full-time coaching job. And I'm in the gym. We play pickup basketball at lunch for exercise, and so I suck, right? I just run and hustle and rebound. I try not to ever shoot, just rebound. Don't ever give me the ball. I'll rebound. I'll give it to somebody. Do that. Okay. So I'm in the gym one day and there's a, the head women's coach is Margaret Carey. She's awesome. She played the WNBA, little tiny thing, like little. So she's like, Hey, let's play 21. I'm like, look, I'm not very good. She's like, it's okay. So she drops. <laughs> 63 to seven on me. Okay. Woo. 63 to seven. Now, yeah. I, I, you're not going to get me in no basketball. Okay. Like you, all right, you beat me. Like, cool. But you're not going to walk around the athletic department and talk crap about it. Okay. <laughs> Cause there's one thing that it, you can beat me, but you're not going to get me dirty. Like you're not going to, you're not going to talk. I killed Jake in basketball. Okay. Okay. So I went to the gym and I said, if I'm going to win this game of 21, I got to make free throws. I can't give her the ball back. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I sat in the gym every morning. I would come to work two hours early and I started at one and I watched some videos. Okay. So this goes to my second point, have good mentorship on what you're trying to do. Have people that have been where you're trying to go, help you get there. Because when you're trying to figure it out on your own, you're missing little small nuances that will keep you from getting to great. Okay. Why sure. is the, the example I use is why is Ken Griffey like arguably one of one of the best swings in the history of baseball? Okay. It's easy. 
Hank mm-hmm. Aaron and his dad gave him the swing when he was two years old. Right. So he was getting Hall of Fame advice starting at two years old. Yeah. So anyway, back to my story. Okay. Um, Free, free throws. throws. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Help me. Help me. I'm, I was lost a bit. I'm sitting here <laughs> watching softball. It got me. I let me turn around the other way. It got me. Okay. So um, <clears throat> free throws. So I go to the gym and I'm shooting one free throw in a row. That's my goal. So the first day I shoot one. Okay. It took me 15 minutes to make a free throw. Okay. Tomorrow I'll do two. So boom, I'm in there. Two takes a lot longer. Okay. Yeah. Three, I got to the, the little catch point. I could make two pretty consistently, but I couldn't make three. So I spent three or four right. days on three. Okay. And more, probably more likely I spent probably a couple weeks on three. So then I got to four. Well, when I got to four, five was easy. Okay. So now I'm making five. We're, we're close to three months at this point. Every day I'm shooting baskets. Okay. Fast forward seven months. I'm up to 12. Okay. I'm up to 12. And I just happened to be coming out of my office one day and Margaret was like, Hey, you want to play some 21? And I was like, man, I wanted to get to 15. That was my goal. But I said, you know what? I'm going to run her out of this gym. Yeah, let's go. So I didn't, she had no (laughs) idea what was going on. Okay. So boom, I am going to have to give every ounce of energy that I have to even get close. Okay. Yeah. So we start the first game and I want to say I beat her like 21, like nine. Okay. Okay. And she's like, and I gave her the ball twice, three times. She had the ball three times that whole game because I was making my three free throws. She'd give me the ball back. I would make sure I had a, a reasonable shot, like a layup. The other thing that happened, shooting the free throws, developed all of my shooting skills as long as I was inside of the three-point line. So there was an ancillary right. benefit of just shooting simple three throws from the same spot every time. Now I could make a basket from over on the side. Like I couldn't shoot a basket from anywhere before. Okay, so the second yeah. game. She comes back and she like gives me the business. I give her the ball. She never gives me the ball back. I lose. Okay. So the third game, I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not giving her the ball back. So boom, I get the ball. She gets the ball. She don't give me the ball back. She misses at 19. It's like 19 to like probably five. I'm like, all right, I'm not giving her the ball back. So I don't give her the ball back. And I get down, and it's 19 to 20. And if I make the free throw, right, I'm good. But if I miss, I go back to 13. Mm-hmm. Now I got troubles, right? And I went to the line, and I went to take my free throw, and, uh, and the stress got to me. And I was like, oh, no. So I threw the ball down. I walked over to the end line. I walked around. And I thought about all the mornings that I had come in to shoot baskets, right? And I thought about it in my head. And I put myself in the mindset of I'm just making a basket in the morning to try to get to 15. This had like, I had, I had washed everything out of my head. The fact that I was going to, if I make this, I win. All of that was gone. 
Got up on the free throw line. I took my little lean to the right with a one dribble, took a breath, shot it, and made it. If you ask me to this day, I still think that probably is the number one athletic accomplishment in my life. A pickup game of basketball against a WNBA girl, and I beat her in three games of 21. Why would you say that? Because it took – it took seven months of preparation in something that I had no competency in. And then I was able to beat somebody that played professionally in that same sport. Now I'm going to say this. It was very, it was a very linear test, right? There was, I wasn't running up and down the court. I was, I didn't have other teammates involved. There was a whole bunch of things that I'm not trying to say I could be a, a good basketball player at all, but from my perspective, I used Every bit of 35 years of sports psychology, sports performance, like everything came into that, that crucible right there and allowed me to win and beat her. And then she almost fought me after the game. Like she wanted to fight me. And I was like, Margaret, what is wrong? She said, we're playing two more games. So no, we're not. It's over. I beat you. You didn't. And like, it, it, I had to walk away. Like she was getting mad. That was a rubber and, and, and I just said, you know what? Like, and then, and then she was always challenging me after that. I said, no, I'm good. I, I won. <laughs> so I, I, Oh, you know that eight or eight or I, 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 I tell that story to get people to understand that when you do what you did and roll the ball down the ruler, correct. It's right. It's honing all of the fine synapses in your brain and your body to be able to replicate the same movement over and over. And that's all golf is. Yeah, for sure. And so that specific drill, you know, that ruler is only an inch wide. So, you know, the cup's three and a half, right? So, you know, what I did to instill my confidence in myself after, you know, like I said, I had a time commitment. I had to go somewhere, but I did not leave because my goal was to make 25 in a row. I pulled that ruler away before I left and I made 25 in a row without the ruler. And then I went, you know, and left and then came back to practice the next day. A hundred percent. 100%, Hundred percent, right? That's uh, awesome. I love. I yeah. see. That's the kind of stuff that the young people they want to sink sixty footers. But when Tiger sure. Woods was at his great, he was leading the country in the world in three foot and unders. Right there was a oh, period yeah. where it's like three oh, or four yeah. years he hadn't missed a three foot and under putt. Yeah, and that three footer is worth as much as that three hundred and ninety. Oh, uh, every day. Yep. So I mean, how can how can golfers better plan and prepare their practice time because we all love to, you know, tee it up and hit the long ball. Right. But you know, the 85% of the game is the short game, the wedges inside a hundred yards, putting and chipping around the green. So how can these players plan and practice better their time? So it's it's interesting. Every stroke is exact same. Right. And I want everybody wants to hit the smasher off the tee, right? Like I had the tailor made 9.5 burner as I got it like my junior year. Someone gave it to me. I was trying to crush drives my senior year. When I went to state turn, when I, when I missed the state qualifier, by one stroke, I teed off with a one iron, which was basically a two iron from a tee, but I hit it down the middle of the fairway for like 220 every time. And I yep. didn't lose balls. And I would, I would play, I, I started playing rounds with the same golf ball the whole round. 
and my score came right. down dramatically. So I say that to say to, to get better, like with practice time, the first thing I would do is go Google Tiger Woods and see what Tiger Woods is doing practice time. If I'm trying, if I'm trying to be elite, right? Like, if, sure. like that's the thing about this day and age. I tell my players all the time, there's no reason you aren't doing what the world's best are doing now because it's all online. Yeah. You don't have to order a book and read what Tiger Google, what Google Tiger Woods short game workout plan for the day is. And it's going to tell you. Yeah. There's, and then sure. you're just going to go do it. Now, I tell people this. So my kickers are the same way. We do every day. There's drills we do every day. I don't care what's going on because they keep us in the rhythm of our sport. Okay, golf is the same way. So you may not be able to go out and, and chip balls for eight hours like Tiger Woods can. But if he's chipping balls for eight hours and then he's putting for two hours after that, I'll take that same time proportion and I'll slowly incrementally increase it. But I'm always doing it with persistent practice. So I'm not just out on the range taking 20 yard flop shots. I got a trash can or I got a bucket on the green and I'm trying to put two balls in that bucket out of four. Right. Or I'm trying to put one out of five in that bucket. And I'm getting one and five. I'm getting it pretty consistently. Okay, now I'm going to try to get two and five in that bucket. Because that's how you get better. The time is important, but the persistent practice is what pushes you and and hones everything in your body to become world-class. Because it's more productive. You you have to get it done, right? Like, you're measuring your performance daily and so then you can see the incremental improvements and like I, everybody, I tell my kickers this, no one, no one goes to the golf course and shoots 35 on their first round of nine. Nobody. Right. Right. You're going to start it like yep. 65. If you're lucky, mm-hmm. then it's going to come down to yep. 60. Then it's going to come down to 55. Then you went and took a course and you learned how to putt. And it's going to, you may take 10 strokes off of nine holes when you're at 55. Now you're shooting 45s. But no yeah. one goes uh, around to 65 today and then shows up tomorrow and shoots 35. Nobody. And right. so right. this kind of microwave generation struggles with that greatly. They struggle, they, yeah. they struggle to understand that being good in golf is measured in years. For sure. Like, like, and, and this generation struggles to do anything that's longer than about eight seconds. So (laughs) that's kind of like you, they always have to step back and look and ask the question, am I trying to get too much too soon? And that goes back to my my other point, which is, you know, for young golfers and, so the development officer at USA Wrestling is one of my good buddies from the Naval Academy, Mike Clayton. He's awesome, okay? And we have this conversation all the time about raising kids and just, like, how much to push them. And he's like, go to Iran, world's best wrestling places. From zero to six years old, they basically – all they do is fundamental athletic movement, tumbling, gymnastics, okay. um, they wrestle, but they don't really compete. They don't keep score. They just – they go out, they wrestle, whatever, okay? And he said, from 7 to, to 12, 
they start developing wrestling. And then from 12 on, he said, basically at 12 years old, you can take somebody that hasn't done the sport. And in two years, they can be as good as the kid that did the sport their whole life. Because wow. 12 is the break point where the, the, the young person becomes mature enough to be able to apply the stuff that they're learning directly. Whereas as a kid, you could be told a thousand ways to do the shot and you still can't do it physically. So right. it's interesting to me because I think in this day and age, we have thousands of parents that are trying to make Tiger Woods and not understanding that like, okay, you can make a Tiger Woods, but it still took uh, Earl, you know, at least 12 years to make the kid. Right. And, sure. you know, yeah, he's hitting yep. balls on Johnny Carson and you can say what you want, but Earl did a couple of things early on that were just absolutely phenomenal. Like, I mean, you know, you, you heard about the TV over the bed, right. Over the crib. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, like, okay. So, so now the one thing I'll say to that is yes, he made the world's world's best golfer ever. Okay. But now my man has some other problems going on, right? Like he didn't make a whole person. He made he made the world's best golfer, and there's some 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 underlying stuff out there which we all have, right? We all have a dark closet where we we have our stuff hidden away. But for sure, like I don't want to raise the world's best golfer if that's what I'm going to get, right? Like to me, I want to raise the world's best person, and so like my son lost a wrestling match. We went to our first wrestling tournament. He won one, and he got pinned the second one, and it hurt. It was the worst hurt that I've probably experienced in athletics. And he said to me afterwards, he said, Dad, no one was cheering for me. And, and, and it, it has resonated with me so much because my instinct was, screw that, we're going to start really practicing. You've been in practice like half half heartedly going through it we're about to start practicing because this won't happen again and i laughed because my two buddies that have kids much older than mine took that approach and all of their kids were out of sports by 10 years old what was your approach i didn't do nothing i talked to them about the the fundamental listen if you want people to cheer for you then you're never going to be a good athlete because the only person that has to cheer for you is yourself and I said, second of all, nobody in here is cheering for anybody. Okay. So if you want to rationalize getting pinned and he's eight, so like it was a good conversation, but I'm sure. not going to put any pressure on him. Like I didn't go to wrestling practice the next day and jump up wrestling practice. Like wrestling here, I'm in Illinois. Wrestling's real. And we got four months of wrestling practice. He's done with wrestling right now. We're going to do, we did two months. Now he's going to go into basketball. But, like, I can't push him because he's eight years old. He's got to find that push and drive himself. And, yeah. you know, like, there's a, there's a lady I know who literally wants her two girls to be the best dancers in the world. And you can just see the dread on their face every time they have to go to dance practice. That's never going to end well. So talk to the parents right now. Okay. I mean, what, what can they do? I mean, obviously, like you're saying – you can't make them, you know, you can't make the kid want it, right? Yep. My dad, I had my dad on the podcast a couple months ago and self-made, you know, he taught himself how to golf for the most part. He had some coaching along the way, uh, but he did make a comment in, in our 
episode where he said, you know, my mom and dad never asked me one time if I wanted to play in college or I wanted to play professionally. Not one time did they ever ask him that. And his point being that he had to find that inside himself to be able to push himself into up to that level. Yeah, and same thing in my household, right? My, my parents would support me. My dad would ask me every day, how are you going to pay for college? That was the only thing he ever asked me. There was never any athletically related conversations, right? And so to the parents, I'd say to the parents this, right? I went out and got a father mentor. So my dad was a truck driver, alcoholic. I didn't necessarily like I am a savage, but I don't think being a savage is the best way to go about being like very successful in life. And so I went out and found a guy who is uber successful. Um, one of his children has been a first round draft pick in the NFL. He's got some, some incredibly successful children, four of them. Okay. And I, and I asked yeah. him what you just asked me. And he said, listen, man, he said, we don't worry about athletics. He said, understand this boys get their confidence from sports. He said, but it's not what sport you want them to be good in. It's what sport that they find themselves being good in. And it, mm. it resonated mm. with me, right? Like I want them yeah. to all wrestle. Cause I love wrestling from a competitive, like being able to fight standpoint, but if wrestling ain't his sport, well, he loves basketball. Okay. So then we're going to, we'll, yeah. whatever, like that's not for me to decide that's for him. And, and my mentor said, listen, Jake, let him play as many sports as he wants to play. Like, he wants to be in chess club. So he's in chess club after school, right? He goes to, to a school. They got all these active after school activities. My wife works. She can't pick him up to five. So he does all these, he's in chess club. And every day I'm like, he's studying the chess moves and I'm like, all right, well, Hey, have fun. You know, like yeah. I say to the parents, there's two things. One cut the umbilical cord as early as possible. Helicopter parenting will never make your kids successful. I don't care how much success you try to set them up for when they get out in the real world and you've been setting up all their success, they will do nothing but fail and they won't have the coping mechanisms to fail. So on that, yeah. no helicopter parenting and let them fail. And then the other thing is, is their life is not yours. Right. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've heard you say before, you know, the real world is an animal and it will eat you. hundred percent. Right? And so, you know, that's basically what you're saying to the parents is, and I think I, I do believe this because I came from the academy world where I was recruiting players from all around the mm -hmm. world. Uh, and, I, and I was in a golf academy, a sports academy in Florida. And uh, I, I just, I saw a lot of parents push their kids into certain sports. Um, and it just wasn't a good thing for them because they're miserable. Like you were saying about the two dance yep. girls. So, uh, so oh, and, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. So no. look at Serena and Venus Williams, right? Yep. So if you like as a sports psychologist, so, so Mike Clayton worked at West Point, West Point has it, IMG and West Point are probably the two epicenters of sports psychology. Okay. So every summer I went up there and worked wrestling camp. I read sports psychology after sports psychology. It's all articles on athletes. It's the best. Like if I had a sports psychology major, I would go to it. Cause it's the funnest thing in the world. You just read articles on really successful athletes. And you go back and look at how Mr. Williams raised Serena and Venus in a community in Compton, 
right? And it's funny because it just happened this weekend, okay? So you go look. They didn't play on the circuit until they were 12 years old. Yeah. They didn't, didn't play competitively until they were 12 years old. There was – up until 12, there was zero stress in their life. They were just playing tennis, sure. getting better. And then they jumped on the scene at 12, and by 16, the rest was history. Right, because yeah. they were internally driven to be successful at a sport. Their dad wanted to be successful. He gave them the tie, much like Earl Woods did the Tiger. But now they've kind of become the formula. Well, and it goes back to your point earlier about progressive practice. Yep, right? persistent, persistent practice. Persistent. Yep. I'm sorry, persistent. Hundred uh, yep. percent. And so you look at those at the at the two girls, and what happened this weekend? Uh, Venus got bumped out the tournament by a 15-year-old African-American girl that she basically made yep. by giving her the example of how to become Venus of Serena Williams. Yeah, And you're like, all right, must have been doing something right. <laughs> right? right? And, and, and so uh -huh. when you look at it from a parent perspective, the other thing I'm going to say is kids need time. Right. And I'm not I'm not here to talk because I got an eight year old. I, I my first rule, I don't give advice past eight years old. Right. Like I've yeah. raised a pretty successful eight year olds to this point. I don't know. I don't know about <laughs> nine, ten or eleven. OK. Sure. I know I got a lot of help raising this kid, though, but I know he needs time. And so yeah. that time could be as simple as me sitting in there watching him play Minecraft, even though I hate Minecraft. But I'm going to sit there and watch him entertain me with his little Minecraft stuff he's doing. OK, because yeah. my interest in him feeds his interest in everything else. Mm -hmm. OK, go into that a little bit further. So I, you drop your kid off at the at the putting green and you're over on the side on your phone the whole time. Mm -hmm. He knows you're not paying attention to him. OK, what does that do to him? So, it, it, you know, it, it's all subtle kind of. Mom and dad just, I'm just putting, right? But if you take the time to watch him, now it's important to him. You're making him more important and what he's doing more important, right? And you don't have to do it every day. So, I mean, shoot, the kid, if you, you got a 13-year-old and he's at the, at the golf course, but maybe once a week you walk around with him. You, carry, you be the caddy and carry his bag, right? If you're not carting it, right? You Hey, yeah. son, hey, man, I, hey, let's, I'll, I'll carry your bag today. Okay, boom. And then you yeah. got to be a good sport, right? You can't, you, can't be, you can't be a parent out there screaming at him because he, he missed the shot or something like that. You just got to be a parent. You're just supporting your kid, right? For and sure. that's missed a lot. You know, we don't want to give the kid time, but we want the kid to be great. Well, you can't have a great kid yeah. unless you give the kid time. Hmm. It's, it's no, yeah, it's really no different than anything else you're doing in life. You're going to get what you put into it out of it. And yeah. a lot, you know, like, like we have this problem in our house. We, we, we scaled it way back Saturday morning. My kids are waking up at between five 45 and six 15, no matter what they're going to want their pancakes. And if we give them the tablet, we can sleep until eight o'clock. Okay. Mm -hmm. But the problem now is they got two hours of tablet time and they're addicted to a tablet. So they were. We got them off of them. Okay. Yeah. I'm yeah. being lazy as a dad. 
Okay, so now I'm going to get up at 6.15, I'm going to cook pancakes, and we're going somewhere by 7.45, as long as it's not minus 40 degrees outside. We'll go to the park, we'll go ride our bikes, whatever we're going to do, but we're not going to, like, for my comfort, I'm not going to lay in the bed and get two more hours of sleep while they're messing around on their tablets for two hours. And that's all yeah. time, right? Like, if yeah. I, What have you, since you changed that, like, I mean, it sounds like you fell down that trap a little bit, but since you made that shift back, what have you noticed in just your kids' interaction with you and, and just how they're developing? Well, the major things we saw, so we have a very violent household, okay? I, I'll say that. People come to my house, they're like, oh, my God, we have a slide in our living room. We have a jungle gym in our living room, so we can do pull-ups, we ride the slide, whatever, okay? So a wrestling match at my house is is a daily occurrence. Okay. Something that we get mad with, they'll wrestle. Okay. Or somebody will take a toy. They're going to wrestle. All right. So from those wrestling matches, we were going to school and we were torching people. Okay. My eight year old has a rule at his school. You're not allowed to touch anybody. So we, we stepped up. What, all right, what are we doing? Okay. we got a lot of wrestling going on in the house, but what we came down to was, he was playing uh, Minecraft and he was playing the fighting swords where you, you fight people in Minecraft. And then I was letting him watch me play Fortnite a little bit. And my wife was like, no more combat at all. Like you're not allowed to watch uh, Ninja Warriors on YouTube, no- nothing combat related. And so we did that. And then we took the tablets away and instantly his behavior went away. Right. Like his, his wanting to fight people, not really fight because he's, he's eight, you know, like pushing people or getting Just in trouble rough for roughhousing. Were you yeah. roughhousing in a school where you can't touch nobody, right? right? And part of that was in kindergarten, he went to a school where it was, it was, you could roughhouse. They would wrestle at lunch. And he's got a buddy in his class. His dad's a former Marine. Normally, the two of them are getting in trouble together. And <laughs> right. so, but when we took the tablets away, we automatically saw kind of a more level kid, right? They, they were okay. less agitated. Let me put it that way. They were less agitated. So their tension span increased what? also. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Because a tablet, like, it's no different than you. Like, you, if you take your phone to bed, you can spend an hour on your phone before you even know it, flipping through pictures on for Instagram. Sure. It's the same exact thing yeah. for them, Right. Like yeah. I remember being a kid, you got to watch cartoons until 10 o'clock because the cartoons went off at 10. Now, right. as a kid, if I could have watched cartoons all day on my tablet, I probably would have watched cartoons all day. Yeah. Yeah. I just read an article the other day. Where we were talking about golfers being multi-sport athletes and the person that wrote it grew up, uh, you know, when you just went outside and you played. And so we played different sports in the yard. We played pickup football. We played pickup basketball. I played hockey in the street, you know, different stuff yep. like that, which I grew up doing as well. And I rode my bike around the neighborhood all day long. And it was dinners at 530 and you got to be home at 530. And so we were outdoors playing the whole time. And the, the point of the article was, you know, the cross training that you get from those other sports and, uh, you know, just out there competing serves super well in golf and the transferable. Yes. Skills. Like, I, you know, I, I say this all the time, the more you compete, the better you get at it. Yeah. Right. Like the yeah. more 50 yard field goals you make, the better you get at it. Yep. You know, yep, for so sure. the same, same kind of train of thought. I agree a hundred percent with that. Yeah. Well, um, 
I want to be conscious of your time. I know you got a meeting to prep for, and I appreciate you taking some time with us. Um, I, there's a thousand other things I could talk to or talk with you about, but um, thank you very much for joining us. I want to flip it at the end as something new that I've okay. started, um, just to give the audience a little bit of uh, just more insight on okay. me. And I'm going to ask you to ask me a question. Okay. So, so golf is a sport, right? Name yes, me a sir. sport that you could work on for golf that would help your golf game immensely. Mm. That's a tough question because there are a lot, but I would say I would pick two. I, I, and I'm going to okay. pick two because I think that uh, baseball has a component of movement in it. Uh, that develops some of the same muscle patterns as golf, um, specifically from a batting perspective. Okay. It's just on a different different swing okay. plane. And then I would say basketball. Okay. Um, and ironically, those are the two other sports I played other than golf. And so maybe that's why I'm leaning in that direction. Okay. Um, but I got a lot of grittiness out of playing basketball. Um, I learned how to be a teammate. Um, conditioning is a huge part of basketball, which we've talked a little bit about yep. today. So I would pick those two. Sports. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And I love both of them so. because they're aim, small, miss ball sports. Mm. Right. Yeah. That's a aim, great small, point. miss ball. Like I, I aim at the smallest part of the rim. I'm trying to hit the ball. I'm trying to hit the seam. I'm trying to hit the, the little minutia of the ball so I can make good contact with it. Love it. For I sure. love that answer. I know we, we could spend a lot of time talking about visualization because I know that you're huge oh, on massive that. on massive <laughs> on visualization. Now I don't, even, I don't even want to open that can. All right, let's put it, close the lid, close the lid, close the lid. We're going to have to do a, we're going to have to do it. We could definitely, talk about that would that, be but. like, I'll, I'll jump on with you easy day on that one because that yeah. truly, in my opinion, like that's how you become world-class elite. Hundred percent, and it's something I'm learning right now. It's part of I'm not really good at it right now, but it's something I'm practicing okay. because it's part of this mental toughness and physical challenge that I'm putting myself okay. through. And visualization, ten minutes of visualization All every right. day is something that's consistent of that. Okay, so so, so I will uh, ask you a question I'm, on that. I'm, I'm gonna ask you another question. Okay, yeah, yeah. how? Because I, I read a little bit about you, so you can swing a stick, right? How did you get to the level? not massively being involved in visualization? Well, I would say that I have always visualized, but in terms of sitting down and actually practicing okay. it, that wasn't something that I've done historically. So I will definitely say that when I stand on a tee box or I stand behind the ball and I'm lining up and I'm, I'm figuring out what shot I'm yep. going to hit, you talk about aim small, miss small. I'm not aiming at the tree. I'm aiming at the yellow leaf in the that's five feet from the top of the tree on the left yes. hand side. Yes. Okay. Um, so from that standpoint, I've always visualized okay. that way. Okay. Or I'm reading a putt and I'm visualizing, but I just mean sitting down, shutting everything off. I'm just focused on visualization, um, on goals, on outcomes, on things that I. Want. So the only reason I asked that question. I don't know any yep. elite world-class athlete that doesn't, isn't heavily involved in visualization. You, you were doing it on a, on a uh, subliminal, non-kind-of-textbook way, 
But it's the same right. thing. Everybody hits the home run to win the World Series, right? Everybody shoots sure. the goal, the basket to win, you know, the championship. The last shot, last yeah. second this, shot. This eight foot putt is yeah, like, and so it's interesting because, like, I I was that's an awesome answer because I'm like, there's no way you can't be as good as you are and not do visualization. Like, like you'd be an anomaly. <laughs> yeah. I just want to be better at it. I gotcha. want to be better at it. I want to be more conscious yep. of it. Yep. So, yeah. Um, awesome. I get one cool. more question. Well, co- fire away. All right. Let me think. I got. I got to get a good one. Golf related. Okay. Okay. All right. I've got my best shot ever. Was shooting a rat running across the bridge at forty-five feet. <laughs> okay. Okay. What's your best golf shot ever? Oof. Uh, well, I've never had a hole in one, and that would be a clear. Okay. First. I think the best shot I ever hit, and it wasn't in competition. It was just in a in a round of golf with my okay. dad. Is I knocked I knocked one in the eighth hole at my dad's golf course in Ohio. Uh, goes out and then it cuts to the left and there's a hill that runs down in between. So I pulled my drive. I'm in the middle of the hill sloped and um, I knocked it in the hole from 150 yards. Yeah. And uh, I was playing with a buddy of mine from college and he'd never really seen me play before. And uh, I had a good round going, but I knocked that shot and he just looked at me like I had seven heads. Like what is happening? That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome, so. Matt. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate this, man. It's a, You know, it was – I said golf. I said, I got a little golf, but we'll, we'll come back. We'll hit visualization next time. I'll give you that one because I, I can't I'd talk about to. that enough. So when you're ready, just hit me up, and we'll run down that visualization uh, wormhole of just greatness and athletic performance. Awesome. Well, Coach Zwig, I appreciate it. Awesome, bud. Hey, man, thank you, Matt. Well, guys, that wraps up episode 23 of Junior Golf Keys with Coach Jake Zwig. Um, Had a blast chatting with him. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Uh, Really appreciate you tuning in. And uh, just want to thank Coach Zwig for jumping on with me and sharing some of his his experience uh, with me and with you. Um, First and foremost, though, I want to thank him for his service uh, that he dedicated to this country. I want to thank him for his leadership. Um, and I just want to thank him for his time. Uh, had a really good time talking with him and I know you guys took away some value from this episode. And if you did, uh, please share it, please leave a review. Um, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on some of the other exciting guests that I've got coming up. And I hope you join me next week for another episode of junior golf keys.